Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Battles, a strength and conditioning coach and the founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism. The Practice Brave Podcast brings you the relatable, trustworthy, and transparent health and fitness information you're looking for when it comes to coaching, being coached, and transitioning through the variables of motherhood and womanhood. If you're a pregnant or postpartum athlete or a coach working with this population, this show is specifically designed for you. All right, let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to the Practice Brave Podcast. Today I am here with Heather Osby and you probably know her from the Pregnant Athlete Training Program. Both are at home version and the more gym-based version that her and I collaborated on. Uh, recently, I hired her to be a marketing strategist brain for my business. And with that, it's led to Heather asking questions, which I think it's what she does best is like, how can I ask as many personal, uncomfortable, vulnerable questions as possible to pull the good stuff from you so that people actually see this broad picture of not just the brand, but of me. And so she likes to put me in really uncomfortable conversations and positions and get awkward and vulnerable. And today we are pulling back the curtains a little bit and sharing that with you. And we got inspired last week and on a call and she's like, if I know you really well, and I didn't know this part about you, like this needs to be something that you share. And so to try to be brief, Heather's going to be talking to me today about how pregnancy and postpartum athleticism started and what it was like to be in the trenches as an athlete and as a mom and as a coach that just felt like I was desperately searching for information that was relatable and to be understood and to get guidance and how the rest of this business brand and movement came to fruition. So Heather, thank you for being here. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm excited, you know, and I guess I didn't realize I asked so many questions that, and that I make people vulnerable. I wonder where I learned that from. I don't know. Cause I don't actually mean to do that, but you're very intentional when you do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just think pe- it's helpful for people to know, you know, where this all started from and what drives it. And I think that we as humans just have a tendency to almost downplay or normalize like our own experience as something that like, isn't, that interesting because we've already thought about it, maybe processed it and moved on, but it actually is fascinating for other people. I mean, I guess, can you guys tell that there's been through a lot of therapy? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Heather goes to therapy on a very regular basis uh, because they have a lot of feelings and I think everyone has a lot of feelings as well. I just talk about them more. Yeah. And she really tries to force me to talk about them, but because we both believe in really authentic marketing and not having like gross tactics to promote what I do and create and care about and programs, resources, courses, like I'm not going to take the gross way of marketing. We have to tap into the emotions and how this actually started and tell a story. So today, Heather is going to be interviewing me about the very early days. And I think as much as I want to say, I, I tried to create everything that I wish I, that I wish I would have had or become the person I needed. There's still so many of you that are like, wait, me too. I wish I would have known. Why didn't anyone tell me 
even though these resources are here and there, I feel like there's, there's something for everyone with this brand in terms of pregnancy and postpartum and coaching exercise, there's still so many people that just don't know. And I think will relate a lot to how I felt seven years ago. So Heather. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, it's like resources and blog posts and eBooks and courses and all of this stuff is so helpful and so important. Right. But nothing makes people feel better. I think than knowing someone's been where they are and someone really gets them and they're not alone, you know, and that's something that, gosh, I'm sure seven years ago, which is back where we're headed, you wish you would have had. Absolutely. So before pregnancy and postpartum athleticism was a thing, before any of this existed, who were you? What were you doing before you got pregnant with Cade? Before I got pregnant with Cade, I was working in corporate wellness part-time and then working in collegiate athletics as a sport coach part-time, but anybody who's ever worked in collegiate athletics knows that there's no such thing as working part-time. So I was working like a full-time job plus a corporate wellness job. I was getting my master's degree and I was married and I was very much like so many people in, I think the strength and conditioning industry, fitness industry, it's like that hustle culture of I'm taking crazy time slots with clients, um, saying yes to every opportunity. And I was really just trying to move up in both worlds. I had an interest in like working with people and like the corporate wellness setting was always really interesting to me, but I was still so called to coaching and the team environment and really working with people influencing before influencing was a thing. (laughs) (laughs) There was so much value in guiding somebody's process of their life, getting them at like 17, 18, recruiting athletes, taking them through their, you know, helping them figure out what they want to do, who they are, all the trials and tribulations that come between 18 and 22, 23. And it was such a seasonal thing. And I thought that I would stay with that forever because as much as it wasn't about the sport for me, it was how impactful being with someone through that season of life was. And when I got pregnant, I thought that I would resign from my corporate wellness job eventually and just keep coaching. And I say just kind of in air quotes, because it's like, again, it's not, it's not just, it's a huge, you sacrifice a lot when you are in a sport coaching collegiate level position. Yeah. So you obviously have a huge passion and heart and like we're called to coaching from a very early stage, but outside of coaching, what were you doing for your own fitness back then? Yeah. Yeah, And I guess I should also say that my master's ended up being in coaching. So while I think there's a lot of people that gravitate towards like kinesiology or exercise phys or, you know, maybe like a physical therapy distinction. Like I always knew that coaching could be used in a variety of settings and it would make me a better communicator and leader in whatever, whatever direction I ended up going. So that was always a huge cornerstone of like my belief system as an athlete and coach. And what I didn't realize is eventually it would like really transcend into how I parent and my views there. But as an athlete, I say like when I retired from being a collegiate athlete, I sort of gravitated into thinking that I needed to, in order to not get fat, I had to train the three hours a day like I was in college. So after, you know, when I was like 20, 
three to maybe 25, it was a lot of cardio. I did a lot of triathlons, even like a half Ironman. And I just thought that like running and cardio would be good. Even though I was a strength and conditioning coach, I wasn't really implementing that as much into my training. It was very much trying to get as much volume and hours in as possible to burn the most amount of calories. And that was like a vicious cycle. And then you could say when I was maybe around 25, we had just gotten married and we joined a CrossFit gym. That was like, again, it was, this was before CrossFit was really kind of cool or well-known. And I loved it. Cause I was like, yeah, like this is, I feel way more comfortable lifting in this environment than I would have at a, like at a corporate gym. And it complemented what I was still interested in from a coaching perspective. So I just got back into it and started to, you know, really dive into that, like strong is the new skinny kind of vibe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you yes. know, you remember that? God, that was seriously. Oh like, gosh. Literally yeah, eight to 10 years ago, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I entered my CrossFit time around the, the same time. I was just a little older than you. And when you dive into the CrossFit culture, like, did you drink the Kool-Aid hard? No, because I don't drink any Kool-Aid hard. Oh, that's true. That does, yeah. That's actually that. Too like, that's like, a, like, like, I am across the board. Like, I, like, I never <laughs> owned a Reebok anything. I just, like, I couldn't. Like, it's not that I think I'm too cool. I just, like, I'm very hesitant. I have a lot of walls, I guess. <laughs> yes. So, but you loved the style of exercise. Yeah, it just, it was nice to lift again. And it was nice that it didn't have to be, for me, because I didn't go all in, it was like, I could have, it wasn't an all or something I could do like CrossFit and feel like really well-rounded. And I could also run or sign up for races if I wanted to. And so it was a nice way to almost heal my brain from being like just cardio and trying to burn as many calories as possible. And because I didn't know another way I had, I had been working out three hours a day since I was probably seven years old. Oh, wow. So like I was on swim team forever. We would have two hour practices as a kid every single day after school. And then that led into high school, which is like three or four hour practices, which then led into college, which was three to five hour practices. And like, that was part of me. That was just what I did. It never seemed extreme. It was just what it was. Right. But you were, you were playing water, water polo in college, right? Yes. Which to this day, I couldn't tell you what that was to right. save my life. So right. maybe someday you'll have to. You're from Iowa and I'm from California. <laughs> <laughs> California yeah. is very well known. It's not. That is much. It's played everywhere. So um, when you got pregnant with Kate, how old were you? 27-ish. 27. Okay. So you've been doing CrossFit for a couple of years at that point in time? Yeah. And I had always... You know, as much as I say, like I was really into cardio, like I would always still lift. It just wasn't as much as my priority. And then when I started doing CrossFit more, it was like, I was able to evolve and just like, I just want to get super strong. And I just want to be like, really, I just want to be really good in that environment. Right. So it just like fed that competitive thing with myself, with others, with numbers that Mm -hmm. I wasn't fully getting from the running and triathlons and stuff like that anymore. Yeah. Um, So it became almost like a new justified way of that mindset, which we now refer to very widely as athlete brain, you know, like it just, and it felt right. It felt justified. It felt like this isn't a eating disorder or an exercise (laughs) disorder. This is, this is the right way to be healthy. 
and the right way to train, the right way to eat paleo or whole 30 or whatever, you know, like whatever was being pushed. And again, none of this stuff was bad. It was just like, it's such an easy yes for someone who already has a mentality because then it becomes like a justified health when was it always a super healthy approach? Not always. And that really reared its head, I guess, when I got pregnant. Yeah. So you're 27, you get pregnant and we know that you don't immediately change everything about what you do, right? Because this whole movement wouldn't have been born, but how was your training when you were pregnant? You know, I think what we saw glorified back then more so on maybe Facebook than Instagram wasn't as much of a thing was just like, be a badass. Like doctors don't know shit about athletes. And so just like, do what you've always done. You can rope climb, you can box jump, you can run a marathon at 39 weeks pregnant. You can squat heavy. There's nothing you can't do. And you know what? It's not just that you, there's nothing you can't do. It's also really beneficial to your body and to your baby. And so then mm-hmm. again, you're going to have a, this, a faster labor, right? Right. Oh, of course. And like a fit pregnancy, and then you would bounce back faster. And yeah. like, it was almost like, if you follow this formula and this mindset and this advice, this culture really of like what it meant to be an athletic woman who's now pregnant then it, that would give you this ideal, the best, the healthiest experience, labor, delivery, outcome, motherhood experience, all of that, right? Like that is right. literally the only thing that was sold even by organizations and people that identified as being like resources for pregnancy and postpartum fitness, right? At least in my bubble. Because I wasn't looking at the like freaking pre and postnatal shit. Like that did not apply to someone like me. And then I wasn't going to like pelvic floor physical therapy was literally not even close to being on the radar back then as far as accessibility. And frankly, pelvic floor physical therapists weren't preaching a really like holistic approach, you know, even if, so even if I would have found them, I would have been like, okay, you know, once again, that doesn't apply to someone like me. And so I was driven with my ego of being pre-qualified coach and my background of fitness and knowing my body and athleticism. And then the overall culture that we still see that is still hundred percent prevalent. It's just like, I mean, I've worked my ass off to change it, but we still see it. It's still there right? with the advice given and the belief systems that are so embedded in us. Yes. It's like, we almost think it's our own voice for a minute. If we don't, if we're not careful, were there any voices in your head at this time that, or not in your head, but were there any like real voices that were trying to slow you down? That were trying to literally turn a different way. No, no, nobody, like no one knew any other way because the only other extreme was like, I remember when I was at my corporate wellness job, I lifted one of like the five gallon bottles of water when I was pregnant and it's like <laughs> changed the water thingy. And like an older woman just got like horrified and was like, Oh my gosh, you need to put that down. You're going to make your vagina fall out. And I was like, oh, okay, like that doesn't happen. Right. So like there was that almost extreme, like conservative approach Whereas like, well, you don't know who I am or what I can do. (laughs) Like it wasn't outwardly like this egocentric person. It was more of like this internal belief system about myself. So 
that was, that was really, I think what it was about for me, but there was no, there was no coach. There was no PT. There was no mom. There was no person on social media that was suggesting literally any other way. There was no talk of diastasis, incontinence, prolapse, pain, hypertonic pelvic floor, like anything. It was all very dogmatic information and glorification. glorification. Well, and I want to get into kind of what, what happened after birth, but before we do, you have a a big personality that I just adore. That is not a bad thing. But how would that have been received if someone was like, hey, Brie, have you considered this? No, I, I wouldn't listen to them. And I think a lot of people have your brain and they have your uh, similar like style. What would be your advice to a coach who is working with an athlete like you? How do you access her brain? How do you get buy-in from her? Yeah. Yeah, I get, I, I love this question because it's, this is what has made people connect with me or this brand or this message is they're like, oh, well, like I relate to that. She freaking gets it. Like she gets yeah. me. And so therefore I can trust what she's saying. And so I think that's a tool that coaches and practitioners and even like follow moms can leverage is like level with them and say like, I, I get it. Like I was like that too. And find out what, what is driving it. Like find out what the driver is, find out what their goal is, find out what they want to do and then help them do that. Offer yeah. that solution. And if nothing else, literally if nothing else, then they will not have to sit with like the feeling of why didn't anyone tell me they're now making an informed choice of like, I understand that these are some symptoms that are extremely common. And I understand that there's some things that I could do to maybe reduce the significance of a diastasis or the likelihood of incontinence or potentially pelvic organ prolapse, things like that by how I change my pregnancy. But most people do not even know, especially back then that corn pelvic health even mattered was even like, it was even something to consider. We just thought that like, well, you want to have strong abs and probably a strong vagina. And then you also Like if you work out really hard, then you're going to have a quick labor. And then if that happens then you're going to be able to bounce back and you certainly don't want intervention, you don't want to have a C-section. God forbid you have a (laughs) C-section and you certainly, and you know what epidurals are bad too. Like that was so much of the messaging for that fit health minded mom pregnancy community back then. So I think it's just like, it's having a conversation and it's really getting to know what is driving them and then offering support and saying like, Hey, you know, like core and pelvic health considerations help you become a better athlete, not just during your pregnancy, but set you up for a better postpartum return because it's less, it's less of a learning curve when you know it ahead of time. Right. Right. Yeah, I think that's really good. I think that one of the areas where coaches tend to get a little bit wrapped up is the sense that it's almost like an offense to people still going out and doing, you know, pull-ups at 37 weeks in pregnancy or something. And I'll use myself as an example here because I know that I have experienced this. I think it's a common experience for especially new coaches who are still learning a lot of theory and they're trying to 
apply it. But I, I did a workshop early on after I became a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. And I had someone come and she asked a lot of questions. She was great. And then a few weeks later, I saw her in the gym and she was doing pull-ups, kipping pull-ups or butterfly pull-ups maybe at like 38 weeks pregnant and really heavy thrusters. And I was just, it, it like bothered me so deeply, right? That this was happening. And I think that this is an area where coaches have to learn to maybe like, maybe detach. Like, I don't know if it's worth from that or what it is, but that, I think that is the first step is almost like letting your own guard down a bit so that you can speak to that athlete. Cause if you come in at a, oh my gosh, this is going to just ruin you. Like a person like you, Brie, or many other athletes are just going to like come with a head on and there's going to be this head butting and nothing productive is going right. to get done. Like, what do you, what do you say to that? How do you work it with that situation? Yeah. You can't coach from a triggered place. Yeah. So how do you untrigger yourself? Well, you de- you, like you said, you, you have to sort of detach and say like, this is her body and her process. And I'm really confident in what I coach. I'm really confident in what I do. She either a doesn't care and that's okay because that's her body and her choice or B like she doesn't know. And so which one is it? And you have to be, again, have a car. If you're wanting to help somebody, you should at least be able to have a conversation with them first before you're diving in. Just say like, Oh, Hey, how far along are you? Oh, nice. Like what have you been training like this your whole pregnancy? What do you want to do postpartum? Oh, you want to do a competition at six months postpartum? Oh, that's cool. And like, just get a gauge on it and be able to get to know the person so that there's already a vibe and a relationship established. And then if you have a social media account, if they follow you, if there's access to putting stuff out into the environment that these athletes are in, whether it's a gym or community, social media, put your own stuff out there and people will come when they're ready to come. Like that's been a huge thing for me. And maybe it's easier said than done now because of where I'm sitting now versus six years ago. But I built a lot of trust and buy-in because I shared so much of my own story that it made people self-reflect. Yeah. It I made was, it like, less about them and just more about my own stuff. And then people, you know, even into this day, they take what they need and they leave the rest. Right. And that's okay. I'm doing my job of educating, of coaching, of sharing in a capacity that feels comfortable for me. And when I'm coaching, I'm not coaching from a place of being triggered. I'm coaching from a place of information sharing. That's great. Drop breadcrumbs and wait for them to pick them up if they, if they need them, if they want to. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, we've skirted away from talking about your experience a little bit, but I just felt like that was too good of a nugget to not talk about because I know it's (laughs) something a lot of people are thinking, but so you train like a badass through your pregnancy. I'm using air quotes with that in a way that is glorified by probably everyone around you, uh, inside of your gym. And did you have that short labor that that society told you you'd have? Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) I really think that the universe or God or whatever you believe in just kind of gives you the experience that you that's going to set you up in a lot of ways for whatever's next. And I think that uh, certainly if I would have had the birth that I wanted, I wouldn't have ended up having the birth and the experience and frankly, the life that I needed and has become so freaking awesome. So no, I 
was in labor forever. It was horrific. It was really a really hard, hard labor. I of course didn't want drugs. I was told that's not the healthiest thing that I could do. I don't guys, it's, it's such a dogmatic belief. I don't, I don't want anyone to take that as like, I'm still saying that that was just my 1.0 version of thinking back then was any intervention was bad for me, bad for the baby, just so unhealthy. I don't believe that, but um, I did back then. So I was in labor for a very long time. It was really hard. And then Cade just started crashing. And then I started crashing his heart rate. And it became a, an emergency situation extremely quickly where I was then rushed into the OR. I was obviously hysterical. And my birth plan certainly did not go to plan. <laughs> and I just remember thinking like, what does this mean for my body? What does this mean? Is, is he going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? And it was like a really traumatizing experience because it was so like, I just never thought it would happen to me, which is, I mean, and I hate that I had that thought process because of how society has painted a C-section. Mm-hmm. Like instead of being like, it's, it's another great option. It's another common option. It doesn't mean you're hurting your baby. doesn't mean you're hurting your body. doesn't mean that all things are terrible now. No, it's just another way of giving birth, but that is not what we have been taught culturally in the birth community in the fitness community or anything like that. And so once again, dogma was infiltrating my belief system around what constituted a good birth or the right way to have a baby. And I swear that's like a huge part of what screwed me up for so long was feeling like I had done something wrong or that I was like now compromising my health and Kate's health from the beginning. And it's like, it's so gross to say that, right? Cause like now I'm seeing it. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe I ever thought that way, but we have only ever been told to paint birth in these two separate ways. And he was born and you did not immediately make peace with like, well, he's here and everything. Like, that's all that matters. He's healthy. I'm healthy. We're all here. That's all that matters. Like this was something that took a long time for you to process. Right. Yeah. I mean, I didn't get to really hold him right away. Like they like put him by my face so I could see him really quickly. But then like I was in and out of consciousness and he was taken from me and he went over to get his vitals done and everything just to make sure he was okay. Since he had crashed so hard when I was about seven centimeters dilated was when things went bad for him. And so like Jared got to see him and stuff like that, but I just, it was this really lonely experience. Like all this stuff happened. And like, now I just kind of here alone, like what's happening. They're sewing me up. Then I got like moved into like the recovery room. And I remember seeing my placenta next to me and I'm like, why is that there? Like, but I was again, kind of in and out of consciousness. So it's still blurry to this day but just there was so much of a disconnect between this rush of so many things happening. And then now I just feel alone and I just really want to see my baby. And it, 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 there was like no reward really like the baby should be the reward, but there was no reward. And so then there was almost like this disconnect and I was trying so hard to recover from the shit storm of events that had been happening for over 24 hours. Like we were probably 30, close to 40 something hours in at this point that, um, I just, I just felt exhausted and disconnected. And then it was trying to nurse and that wasn't coming easily. And it's just like, there was no peace. 
there was no Mm -hmm. moment that everyone had like said, Oh, it's going to be the best moment of your life. And I'm like, kept waiting for that and kept trying. And like, I knew that I loved him. It just, everything just felt so hard. And I had so many questions and I also just felt like an idiot too. I'm like this, like there was like a, a element of shame because I had said, the kind of birth that I wanted to have a natural birth. And I had like been kind of outspoken about that. And then, you know, like my training and everything, like I just felt like so much had backfired. And so then there was like an element of shame, even though I couldn't name that. back yeah. then. I didn't know what that was, but now I can see that that was a huge feeling that I was experiencing, even if I didn't realize it. Yeah. What should be a time when you can just kind of, you know, it's motherhood, right? Nothing goes according to plan and trying to like embrace that and roll with it. But you've been carrying this belief system for months and years, you know, that it's going to go this certain way and then it doesn't. And now you have to try to process that while at the same time, I don't know, were you a little nervous to tell people that he was born via C-section after all of that? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I just, it was, again, it just kind of felt embarrassing. It just felt like, oh, this is, something went wrong. And again, someone like me, I don't like, like, it's hard to be to own that, I guess. And I feel, I guess I just had such an ego around health and fitness and wellness and doing things the best way and the right way. So then that translated into breastfeeding. And like, I would, I was hell bent on, well, if I, all of this went to shit, I certainly want to breastfeed like, and I will not give formula. Like I need to I need to have something. I need to win. Right. But that that was very challenging too for us. And it took like, literally, I remember it took like four or five months for us to like find a groove with nursing. And then I just felt like, well, crap, now it's six months. We're starting to introduce food. Like finally just got breastfeeding kind of figured out (laughs) like four months. And then a few months later we were introducing food. So it's just like, there was I just felt like I could never find my rhythm. I could never catch a break. Like things were just hard. My body was weird. I was overwhelmed with this new baby. It was overwhelmed with my brain. I was overwhelmed with my body. I was overwhelmed constantly. Because he was just the easiest baby in the world, right? I say that with a smile on my face. No, I no, feel he was- like he, he was born like in labor. I should have known. Like he's like this, he's this strong spirit of a child. He is a total force and God bless him. He is the best thing that ever happened to me. And I am challenged all the time <laughs> by his spirit to this day. Um, so yeah, he was like a hard baby. Part of me is like, shit, maybe because he was just hungry and I should have given him like some <laughs> supplement or something. But like, it's just, he, he just wanted to be held constantly. Like he didn't sleep. He's like, oh God, it's just, it just seemed like every curveball was being thrown and it was difficult. So I don't know if you want to call him like a colicky baby, but it's just, he is just really, his spirit now at seven makes me understand that he was literally just wired to be this energetic, opinionated, strong-willed child, you know, and like just a force of like, just a pure gift. Like it's, it's really hard to explain, but the well, I think turn into the kids that you're like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> you know, and for you, maybe that is like a surprising experience. And for me, and I'm like, of course, Brianna Battles has a child like that. Like he is the little boy version of you. Oh, I know. Oh, trust me. I, I realize <laughs> it. I totally, 
I see it. He, he's like the best, uh, he has, I use the like hashtag sometimes like coach mom, because he has coached me into parenthood. Wow. That's beautiful. So after he's born, you are overwhelmed on 10 different levels. Where does your fitness lie at this stage? When did you want to go back to the gym? I think I waited till about six weeks because I knew like, okay, that was the best and healthiest to whatever thing. Oh, okay. So I actually did wait a bit of time, but it was weird just being in such a squishy body. And I felt like I needed, again, how can I reclaim this process? How could I spin it to fix it and make it better? And like, how can I make this a happier story, right? Or happier ending to like, this was all kind of crappy, but well, at least I'll have this to like make good or inspiring for myself or others. God, that's Mm -hmm. so annoying to say. So I thought I could use my like bouncing back kind of thing to share and to have as a, a thing, something that was not just about the baby, but also now about my fitness and coaching and what I was doing in the gym. So I went back my first workout back was the CrossFit workout, Cindy, like the five pull-ups, oh my push-ups, 15. And I was like, it's body weight. It's easy. It's only 20 minutes. No problem. Like, no, okay. now hold on. Now, so for people who might not know, tell them what full-on Cindy is 20 minutes. Right. Yeah. 20 minutes of five pull-ups, 10 push-ups, and 15 squats. And it's all body weight. It is a workout that you might hear that and think that's not so bad. And I done that before I ever had kids and it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. But that was my mindset. It was like, well, it's fine. I feel okay. Like nothing's wrong and I'm cleared. So I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I know my body. And so again, it was like being fueled. So that was my first workout back. And then of course I was, did you modify pull-ups or anything with that workout or did you still do them? I think I used a band, but that's also because I was probably like 30 pounds heavier than normal. Like, I don't know. Like I gained like 50 something pounds with Cade and I'm, and I'm like five, three. So that was, uh, that was like a lot of weight on my body, on my frame. So that was crazy too, to just see like, because I had kind of gone from such an extreme shape (laughs) and then I was like now in this middle area it was just weird to see my body like that and I didn't want to be a coach that looked like I had a baby I just distinctly remember saying to people like I just want to look like I never had a baby like that was like my motivating like thought process of what I wanted in an aesthetic thing so I really focused on that and you know I was the person taking the pictures like here I am at six weeks postpartum here I am at eight weeks and whatever, like the marking, like how large my stomach was and how Mm -hmm. it was shrinking. That was definitely me, even though I didn't even like have any following back then. It was just for my own metrics, I guess, of looking at it. I'm like accountability or whatever. So I'd say I spent like the first six months of his life trying to really get back into things. And then as my body started to like lose fat. I had a better idea of how I felt in my body without the extra weight and fat and shape. This the postpartum, you know, puffiness that so many of us have and the extra fat. I was like, you know, something's up with my abs. Like, I don't know exactly what made you think that. 
how, how did they look? How did they my feel? belly button looked weird. There was like a thumbprint dent over it. Like it wasn't just, I knew I had stretch marks, but it, and it wasn't just loose skin. It just felt like, go, oh, well, they're not together. It's squishier in that center area instead of like muscle and like, oh, okay, what is that? Again, zero people in the fitness or mommy, whatever world we're talking about this, at least in my bubble. And I was trying to like figure out what it was. And then I don't even remember, but I was Googling, of course, and mm-hmm. I found out about diastasis, then tried to learn and then was like, oh, this is what's wrong with me. Went to different doctors and they didn't know. And I just kept trying to acquire, like I could tell that I had a diastasis, but I wanted to understand what that actually meant. And that's what I couldn't figure out. And frankly, no one else could figure it out either. My doctor couldn't figure it out. Uh, They thought, well, it's just probably an umbilical hernia. Like, okay. So then at a year postpartum, I ended up having freaking umbilical hernia surgery, which I likely didn't need, even if I had a small hernia. Uh, But I didn't know that back then. I was just like, okay, that's, I guess, what this is and what I should do about it. So that was like yet another setback and I was just trying to learn more. And the more I learned, the more angry I got at like, why the hell was this not talked about? And so I just was searching for more information, going to literally every doctor, every practitioner, every person I could find locally, talking to people online, you know, just trying to find help. And I was just so desperate. I spent so much money and so much time trying to understand my body. And then it became this like quest to understand everything about pregnancy and postpartum and what training meant for that in a way that was like critically thinking instead of just dogmatic or generalized, because that was what we were told, right? Like do this, don't do that. Or listen to your body do what you've always done. You're cleared. Like there was just no context there. So then I became obsessed with finding the context. And then I realized, oh, there is no context that actually doesn't exist. So I have created the context. Yeah. Well, I think that there's a lot of hard rules, you know, that are out there and people crave that black and white extreme, right? And it would be simpler if that was the truth and the way that it was, but that's not really how it, this kind of thing goes. And I think you're the first person I've ever met that really saw the gray in this and talked about the gray openly. But was there a point where you followed hard rules as you were trying to recover with your diastasis? Like a little bit. Like it was like, okay, well don't do apps. Like, okay, I won't, I guess I won't do that. Or like planks are bad or don't rotate. Like there was a little bit of that But even back then, there still just wasn't that much talk about anything. I feel like the rules sort of started to evolve more. I was told, just like push your abs together, lay on your back and just push them together. Do like 20 reps of that. Like literally. Really? Just like, uh, like, just really like push them together. Literally. Like that was what was told to me by a couple different practitioners or just throw a shit ton of tape on there. Let's do that. Let's tape everyone's stomach. Like it was the stuff that was told was so ridiculous that I just, it it felt stupid. And I knew that I needed to listen to that. I was like, this is dumb. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense because of what I know as a coach. It doesn't make sense because of what I know about exercise physiology. This doesn't make sense because what I understand about 
movement and muscles and uh, a tissue. None of that makes sense. And there has got to be a better way. And so I ended up finding just different practitioners to learn from who were doing things maybe a little bit differently. And I took what they were saying, but then I started to connect it to the exercise science behind it, like to movements, to how we, how we get stronger or change or modify other movements, how we create programs and program design. I was able to then take like core and pelvic health considerations and put it into a strength and conditioning model. And that quite literally birthed pregnancy and postpartum athleticism. Yeah. I mean, you turned your mess into like, that's such a cliche, like turn your mess into a message, but that's exactly what you did. But back when you are visiting, like you're driving all around LA, trying to find different practitioners, chiropractors, massage, you've, you've named a lot of different acupuncture, a lot of different random things that, yeah. that weren't helping. Like, is there a desperation oh, on yeah. your mind that, like, driving all of this? Yeah. Cause it sucks to feel like something's always wrong with you. Like, I still feel like that, you know, like I don't, I was like tired of being this problem child, but I was also tired of nobody having answers. I was like, this is, I am not weird. I'm not alone. There's so many people like me. I'm not the only one training like this. And I'm frankly not the only 20 something year old getting pregnant and still wanting to work out when I'm in at this age. Right. And for the rest of my life, I'm interested in this. I like this stuff. Why is there no one who gets it? It made me crazy. Yeah. yeah. When did you get to a point where you were like, okay, I, I think I might have this under control and what did under control look like? When I just started implementing it into my own body, I was like, I will be the guinea pig and I'm going to try what I think is going to make sense. And, and what was that? Well, it was just like understanding that, like how I can adjust my breathing, what my tendencies are managing pressure and just, it was like really kind of a lot of common sense. Okay. If I'm somebody who tends to like take a breath and pressure out in these powerlifting like movements or a lot different compound movements, then maybe I should do less of that. Okay. Maybe I don't need and to. How did you know? Sorry. I'm going to get like really dumb about this because I think this is, this is an area where you like, you're so good and you almost go fast because you feel like it's so normal to you. But how did you know you were pressuring out? Obviously the diastasis was probably a really great indicator, but what did that feel like when you would pressure out? Yeah. Well, I was working with a physical therapist at the time. So I did have some context and guidance from just like a couple different practitioners. But if you think about a Valsalva, which is just like a breath hold every time you lift, If you are somebody who takes a big breath in like as a bracing mechanism or you're pushing on your weight belt, that's pushing out into that midline, that connective tissue, the same way that you, a baby pushes out into that midline, that connective tissue when you're pregnant. So common sense tells us, which is not common, right? But it tells us that if we're trying to not put more strain on an area, let's reduce the strain on the area. But that area also has to get strong. So we have to load it, right? Because that's strength and conditioning principles and that's rehab principles. So it's that fine line of like how much strain are we putting on tissue, but how much load are we putting on it too? And can we count, like, can we counterbalance that? And that is the key, I think, to rehabbing and progressing both core and pelvic health and fitness in general. 
Yeah, that's where you diverge from everyone else, I feel like, out there. So you you go back out to the gym, to your gym, and you are now doing the similar movements that you like. You're squatting, you're deadlifting, but you're just slowing way down and paying a lot of attention and you're changing small things incrementally. Is that a correct way to put that? Yeah, because I wasn't going to just do freaking like just do three sets of 10 heel slides and do that for six weeks. Like, no, like I just, I needed to keep training. That was a huge part of like my mental health and feeling good. So I needed to do it in a way that made sense and that I could actually commit to. So I just started like becoming extra aware of how I was moving, paying attention more, making some small adjustments to tendencies, lifting lighter but like even when I would like condition in Metcon, for example, I would just change how I was breathing. It's just some things that were kind of unconscious. I didn't realize I was doing that maybe were contributing to how much strain was going to that area. So if I recognize that maybe I have this tendency to push out into that linea alba, that midline, I'm going to do that less. And if you're somebody who has incontinence or prolapse, maybe you're somebody who like tends to like bear down and pressure down into your vagina. So how can you be aware of that and counter it, counter it with how you're breathing, counter it with how you're standing, counter it with the range of motion you're moving through, counter it with the amount of tension you're generating, countering it with either maybe more of a intentional contraction to give support or counter it with less contraction because it needs to be more almost just like more fluid in how it naturally responds and like any other muscle where it has to contract, but it also has to relax. That's any muscle. And that's why mm-hmm. kegels literally never made sense to me. It Even before I started learning anything, I was like, well, that's so stupid. Why would you just like, that's like me doing 50 bicep curls a day. Like that doesn't make sense. You know, like it just, it like never made sense, but I think that's the model that so many people were used to. And frankly, that still is very prevalent in a lot of belief systems. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember one of my good friends telling me that her OB told her to do, after she had a C-section, to do 50 sit-ups a day and like 50 kegels a day. And she told me that. And she was like, I was, no. Right. (laughs) So, yeah. So, How did you know when you were able to progress a little bit, when you were able to add a little bit more weight, or I don't know if there were certain movements that were off limits maybe at first, but then you were able to kind of reintroduce that. How did you know to move, you were ready for a little more? When I was able to stop thinking so much, when I just became more natural and we talk about that. And then the coach course where like, we're not training to be robots. We're training to like introduce a new, like neuromuscular response that's what that is, where you're not having to think about it. You just know how to do it. And again, if we think about that in the strength and conditioning model, if you put a football player on the field, sorry, Heather, I'm talking sports. <laughs> this with, is the one they, I know. They know like the route, they know the play, they know the things, and they're not having to be a robot and say, okay, now I'm going to take three steps here. And then I'm going to cut this way. And then I'm going to like, look here. Like they just do it. They know it is ingrained in their brain because they've practiced it. That's why Olympic lifters, start with a PVC pipe and empty barbell and they drill, 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 drill that movement pattern until they're not thinking about it. And then they can load it and it just clicks and it works. It's the same thing, but we have complicated the shit out of this. And it's really unfortunate that it's either been don't care at all or just do core and pelvic floor exercise. And yet the answer is really just kind of combining the respect that we need to have for our 
our body when it's changing and changed during these seasons and also making our fitness work with us and not against us. Yeah, that's good. So this was a process. How long would you say you're in this, like in this process where you're, where you're relearning? It was about two years postpartum where I felt like I am, I get it. I'm recovered. I've improved my diastasis a lot. It was what we consider like a functional diastasis where the, the, tension was back in my linea alba, even if the separation was still there, probably three to four centimeters separated. And it was about two years postpartum. But what was frustrating then was according to the rest of, you know, families in America, I should have been getting pregnant and having my Mm -hmm. my second child, right? So they could be perfectly three years apart or even, you know, before like two years apart. And I was like, holy crap, I'm just not ready to go through that again. Like I'm mentally not ready to go there. I'm just now like getting into my groove, understanding my body and feeling like I know things. And I'm also trying to now pass this on. I was coaching locally, you know, a group of like maybe 15 women doing different postpartum series. I was like finding my groove, not just with my own body and training, but also with communicating it and teaching it in person. And then I was putting it out online. And then I was starting to like write articles, blogging, Facebook, Instagram. So I was sort of finding my own voice too, in a coaching and leading capacity. So to the thought of now, like (laughs) time to start over, I was like, God, I am just mentally and physically not ready for that. So it wasn't until Kate was about three years old that Jared and I even had the, started to have the conversation about maybe we'll start trying this year, like soon. Here you are and it worked out pretty well, but to rewind for a second. So you're in that stage when you are having to kind of reinvent everything, right? Like, or relearn all of these things. What's that process for you? Like mentally, because you're not a slow down kind of gal. (laughs) So talk me through your brain at that time. Like, were you able to be patient with yourself? I think I realized that I had to be patient. I didn't want to be, I didn't like it, but I realized that based on what I was learning and trying to do and what I was just even trying to experiment with, if I needed to prove this hypothesis I needed to do it myself and I needed to believe it and I needed to understand it really freaking well before I was putting that out there for others to also do. Interesting. So you treated yourself almost as like a research project. I a hundred percent was a research project from the very, like still. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So for, for women who may be listening to this, who are, either in a, in a similar boat, maybe to the same extreme, maybe not, or even just like in that first year postpartum where life is a shit show. What advice do you have for navigating your brain during that time? Because you've been there. It's been, it can be really difficult. How do you trust the process? Um, I think it's just knowing that, that it's trusting that the slower you go, the better off you're going to be. Like in most cases, and I think that's really contrary because we want to like push and we almost like are conditioned to give yourself the benefit of the doubt, but putting in the work and like laying that foundation, we know that that's really effective in every other thing. Why would our postpartum body or any injury or symptom 
why would that process be different? Slowly taking intentional steps and strategic moves in order to improve the ultimate outcome, that is what makes sense. And if you can trust into that and learn to respect it, you're going to have a better outcome. You're setting yourself up for more vulnerabilities and issues if you try to disregard that. And we know that. We see that all the time. And it is hard. Going through that time frame is hard. Patience sucks. It totally sucks. And you have to get, but you have to give yourself a win and remind yourself what you're actually working toward and know that if you almost like if you're pushing things, you're going to actually make your process longer. So ultimately you're on the fastest road, even if it feels slow. Yeah. Oh man. And that is just where I, I think about where I was and I found you. It was after my second kid. And I was doing power cleans at five weeks postpartum. Hadn't even been cleared for exercise yet, but I didn't need that, right? Because I knew a lot. So I thought, that's all air quotes, of course, for anyone who's listening. But it set me back so hard. And so it's so much longer that I think had I, you know, actually progressed in a way that made sense, I would have been able to do power cleans, you know, much sooner. But that fast and slow approach is both right on and hard. Yeah. It's super frustrating, but I think that it's our culture that has screwed us up, not our actual process. It's just like these expectations that we have or the comparisons that we make or seeing yourself be different or feel different. That's frustrating. And we're like, how can I quickly change that? How can I fix it? And sometimes it's not about fixing or changing. Sometimes it's just about like putting in consistent work. Yeah. And then seeing what comes to fruition. That feels like a tweetable. Yeah. So you're going to like listen to this podcast and extract the tweets. Yeah. Um, I think that sounds like a job for someone else. Yeah. Um, I, I can't listen to myself. So yeah, exactly. But before we wrap up today, I need to draw a little bit on my own experience. Something that I, I feel like it's important for you to know because I think it's where a lot of other coaches were, but you know, back in 2014, I think it was like, I was a coach who didn't know you and I, you were searching for all these answers. I was also searching for all these answers because I had a client who was also experiencing a diastasis, not to the level that yours was, but I didn't know how to help her. And there was no resources out there. So I'm like Googling, you know, just as you are. And I luckily eventually found you, but you paved a way for so many coaches who just don't vibe with the, just don't do anything, just don't do abs approach, right? Who know that that's just not the right fit. Like you've created something that's so cool and so special. And, you know, I think that like on behalf of the community that you've created, I just hope that sometimes you pat yourself on the back for that. And I'm sure you don't because that's not how you are, but you should, because it's really, really cool what this has been created out of this situation that you had to go through. Well, thank you. And I, I feel like in a lot of ways I did get to reap the reward of it when I got pregnant with chance because I got to put myself through what I wish I would have been told and what I had been recommending and almost like, once again, be my own research project and say, yeah, if you do approach it this way with a totally different mindset and belief system, 
and you adjust how you train during pregnancy on behalf of like the greater good of your body and your lifestyle and just this transformative process, you set yourself up for really realistic expectations going into birth. And then you know what to expect postpartum. And it doesn't just feel like you're getting like hit with a, I don't know the expression, you know, like you're, you're not like, just you're not being like, I know I always mess up my expressions. Um, like a freight train? I think so many postpartum women, like we just feel rocked. And so, because I knew what to expect and I kind of knew like what my game plan was, I just felt so much more confident and yeah, that's mom maturity. That's your second kid. But it was also from like a physical healing standpoint, even knowing that my diastasis was going to be like real significant because I had another 10 pound baby. I knew that. And still, I just had so much more peace. And that made a dramatic difference for my mental health and for my physical healing and just physical process as well. So like I got to see that and experience it firsthand and then being able to coach it to thousands of athletes in every country and teach coaches how to do that because I'm only one voice. We need lots of voices putting this stuff out there. I am seeing other people and communities get to have that different experience that they freaking deserve. I don't want the people that have to go through what I did to like learn like the hard way, so to speak. Maybe some of us have to, I for sure believe that's a huge part of life is like learn things the hard way and then learn to do it differently and, and help others for sure. But um, I think when it comes to motherhood, such a transformative period, our identity shifts so much. It's already a hard thing to navigate and adjust to for a, literally so many different reasons. Every person has their thing that makes it hard. Let this be one less hard thing. Yeah. Like just, you, you have the information you need. You have the guidance. You have now the professionals that aren't going to like BS you. You have the resources. You know how to adjust your training. You know what to do postpartum. You have everything that you need. And I have created that. And I feel very proud of that and passionate about making sure that this is the gold standard for anyone working with pregnant and postpartum athletes and really anyone. Yeah. It's all there. The information is there and you have, you should be proud of everything that you've created because it's changing, it's changing lives. It really is. And it's very cool to watch happen and to get to be a part of now in a different capacity. So that's very exciting. Well, thanks. But you don't, you don't want to try this one more time with one more baby to see if you really can drill it in like for sure, for sure on the third time. Nope. I'm retired. Okay. Well, (laughs) retired from birth. So that is fair enough. Well, this was so helpful. I just love hearing people's stories and hearing what they've been through. And I appreciate you sitting through this, even though maybe it makes you itchy sometimes to have to go back to that place. So much wonderfulness came out of that place. So thanks for doing that. I mean, I did like pick my fingers quite a bit through this episode, but. Well, it's a good thing I can't have eyes on you because you know how much that bothers me. Yeah, I know. Okay. Well, Heather, thanks for talking to me. Guys, thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. Every resource that I have can be found on my website. So go ahead and check the uh, show notes to get directed there. I am with you. Heather, thanks for interviewing me and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you are a coach and anything about this resonated with you, I want to encourage you to check out becoming a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. 
It's an online certification for coaches and trainers, whether you've been coaching for years and years or you're thinking about a whole different career pivot or just a hobby where you want to be a trustworthy person in your community, at your gym, online, who can help guide athletes through pregnancy and postpartum. And you might be thinking, okay, well maybe, but I don't really coach athletes. So remember, an athlete is a person pursuing fitness across a spectrum of interest and ability, right? So if we can coach a really high level athlete, we can also be able to coach the really like average mom who just wants to be able to take care of her kids and do so without symptoms and pain and discomfort. So we really have to be able to coach a spectrum of women through these chapters. And I want to encourage you to consider becoming that coach. Maybe it's the coach that you wish you would have had, or it's the coach that you know is absolutely necessary in your community, in your gym, and you can see the value of this message and information. So if you want to learn more about that, check out the link in the show notes.